I miss a green, for example, I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie, I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back for another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today we will dive back into golf course architecture and we are joined by Riley Johns. Riley is an up-and-coming architect um, from Canada who recently completed his first uh, solo design with Keith Reb at Winter Park and has worked under uh, great architects such as Tom Doak, Bill Kaur, Ben Crenshaw, and Rod Whitman. Uh, Riley, welcome on. Thanks for having me. I'm a big fan of your uh, up-and-coming success as a, as a professional podcaster. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> the, after the intro music, it takes a, a sharp decline. So um, I'd love to, you know, I think uh, a lot of people probably aren't familiar with your name, but uh, would love to hear a little bit about your background, how you got into golf door course design, and uh, a little bit about you. Well, um, you know, I, I kind of came from, I'm Canadian, obviously, so, uh, you know, golf is, being, is a big part of our, you know, our country up here, along with other sports like hockey, but, um, you know, I kind of came from a different side of things. I, uh, came from more of a construction background rather than, you know, I was never the kid that was drawing, you know, golf holes on the back of his, you know, restaurant, uh, placemat. Uh, you know, I never, you know, my father was never a member at a prestigious club. And, and so I never really had a, you know, a golf-centric kind of background. I came from more of a, you know, I love the outdoors. Uh, you know, I was always the, the, the kid that, you know, we never had TV or, or anything like that. We, you know, we don't go outside and play. We'd build forts out in, in the forest. And, you know, I was pretty lucky to grow up in a, in a town, mountain town in, in Canada, right right next to, you know, Banff. And it's a beautiful part of the country. So, you know, I spent a lot of time outdoors and, and, you know, we, we, you know, I was always the kid that was, that we'd always, we'd have a sandbox, right? And we had Tonka toys and we, you know, we, we'd shape things with the sand and build, you know, our, our version of a, a big uh, hydro dam and get the garden hose and fill it up to the brim and, you know, breach the hydro dam and watch the sandbox flood and, you know, do those kind of things. So, you know, um, that's kind of how I, I grew up and, and a lot of my summer jobs included outdoor, you know, type work, whether it be land landscaping or land surveying, golf course maintenance or ski lift construction, or even, you know, a lot of civil kind of, you know, outdoor civil projects. And so, you know, I, I was never, you know, other than being the ball boy picking up golf balls and, and doing golf course maintenance, I was never really part of golf and, until later on in my life and 
I was when I was doing golf course maintenance that I realized that you know I really enjoyed uh, golf as a sport, but also the whole design aspect uh, and the strategy uh, that came along with it, and just the whole you know golf as as being a, a you know something that neat you know as a development like that was one thing I you know never thought of as 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 a kid growing up either was you know I didn't know there was even a profession out there called golf course architecture or golf course design that was a something I just never thought of until I remember uh we were surveying land surveying a golf course uh here in here in my hometown my dad was a land surveyor so I you know worked with him quite a bit and we're surveying you know a golf course and uh, this was before GPS and you know, all that fancy technology now that you could pretty much do it from, from the computer. We had to go out in the, into the forest, into the bush and, you know, cut a, cut a cut line so he could get the shot. And I remember cutting this cut line and, you know, about 200 yards down, he said, okay, now move the, you know, move the stake over to the left. Okay. Now put that in the ground. Now write down, uh, eighth green, right. And I'm here in the middle of the forest and, <laughs> going what eight green right here this doesn't make any sense and that was kind of a kind of an aha moment for me as as far as wow golf is a, a big development and there's people that um you know are are fundamental in, in the creation of golf and it's uh something that needs to be created so you know i went on to working for um you know various golf course related uh entities whether it be uh you know doing golf course maintenance you know, I worked. I worked actually at a golf course here in town where I did. I worked on the maintenance crew in the morning, and then I worked in the kitchen at night. And I, so I was working, you know, twelve-hour days, uh, getting up early and staying late, and uh, just kind of lived at the golf course for for an entire season. So it was a, it was an interesting, you know, kind of interesting aspect to to. Just to, to being involved in a golf course where you can kind of see how the operations from all different mm-hmm. different angles was, you know, that was that was pretty interesting too. And you know, as I as I, you know, decided to kind of take this, you know, a little bit further, I, I you know, sent some sent some resumes out and got on a golf course contractor and started building golf in, in the Calgary area, you know, just picking rocks on a fairway, you know, like you don't, there's no, uh, yeah. <laughs> there's no glorious path to, to any of this. And I don't even know if there's a, a right or wrong. I'm sure as you interview more people, you, you realize that everyone's kind of taking their own, you know, path to get to, to where they went. And mine was a very hands-on, you know, construction uh, path and, you know, working for a golf contractor just really opened my eyes to, you know, what is actually involved in, in creating golf and how much goes into it, how many people are involved and, and all the nuances involved in, in that. And I also had fantastic, you know, access to some seasoned professionals and, and architects and a variety of, you know, people in the industry who, you know, mentored me and, and educated me and, and taught me and, you know, you know, before you know it, I was 17 years old and <laughs> sitting in a dozer and, you know, pushing dirt and uh, fell in love with it from that day and started shaping and, 
doing some finishing work. I learned drainage. I learned, you know, I worked for irrigation contractors. I can, you know, install irrigation. So I just kind of learned as much as I could about about golf and, and golf course design and construction, you know, reading reading golf course architecture books, you know, while shaping on a project, uh, you know, while, you know, picking picking people's brains on, you know, questions that I had and having access to, to those kind of people was was critical and, you know, a lot of them were, were very supportive and, and, you know, suggested that I, you know, had a knack for it and that I take it, you know, to the next level and, and you know, keep pursuing it and encouraged me to basically, you know, go to school was, was kind of the next step. You know, I'd been, you know, I'd worked on dozens of projects, you know, whether they were brand new builds or renovations or restorations or remodels or, or what have you. And, and I want, and, you know, learning architecture from, from books and that kind of stuff is, is good, but, you know, it has its, you know, limitations as far as what you can get out of it. And, and so, you know, I enrolled in the University of Guelph's uh, landscape architecture program with the uh, intent or the focus of kind of concentrating on, on golf and, and golf design and golf architecture and, you know, and any sort of engineering, anything, anything that, you know, I took turf science as kind of a minor and mm-hmm. just kind of pieced together, a, you know, an education that I thought yeah. would be beneficial um, going forward. And, and it was fantastic. It was uh you know, I learned so much in that in that four years of, you know, things that I just wouldn't be able to kind of pull from a book, and I was able to use my experience that I've you know that I already had, uh-huh. you know, ten years of, of shaping and, and and building golf. So I mean, things you know, and, and having having a land uh, surveying background as well. Just, you know, I felt like I had a pretty good understanding of you know spatial spatial analysis and 3d and development and you know mm-hmm. contours and grading and all that stuff was you know pretty pretty natural to me by that point so i was able to focus my studies more on some of the you know the meat potatoes or kind of kind of the nuances of design and learn you know learn theories on you know whether it be you know conceal and reveal or prospect refuge or or you know, any sort of kind of uh, landscape architecture theories. And then I started kind of looking at that through the, through the lens of, of golf course architecture. And I was, you know, I started to find a lot of similarities in, in how, and how, and how golf course architecture and, and landscape architecture, where they met and where they differed. And, you know, I was able to kind of learn um, on a deeper level, I suppose, kind of what I wanted to get out of, out of university and, and, so, you know, that was, that was fantastic. You know, I just paid my way to university with through shaping. So I was kind of just immersed in, mm-hmm. in golf course and golf course design for, you know, for, for a long time. And, and, and then, you know, trying to, trying to get to the, the next level, you know, we don't, I don't have the luxury of having a, you know, a father who is a golf course architect or a professional golfer or anything like that. So, you know, the next, the next step was to, Hound, hound Tom Doak and ask him if he would ever consider, um, you know, taking taking me on as a as an intern and 
uh, that took about uh, three years of, of letter writing, and uh, he finally uh, said, you know what, we've got some projects on the go in, in China and a few domestically, and, uh, and uh, this could be the right time. So, you know, I jumped on that opportunity and, so, and um, so I, I've you know, heard, spent it. I've heard that uh, Tom has a, you know, a application process for the internship where you kind of do a design. Did you, is that, was that the case when you got into the program? Yes. I, you know, I remember doing a design that it had like some contour, contour maps and, and you do a design and, but I, you know, I, I, and I don't even know if there was an official application process uh-huh. when I did it. It was more of a, you know, uh, Traverse City was, con- you know, driving from out west where I live to, you know, Guelph, Ontario, which is in Toronto, basically. You know, I was kind of going through his neighborhood, so I'd stop by uh-huh. his office <laughs> and uh, hang out and, and introduce myself kind of face-to-face sort of thing. So I don't know if I did the application process properly, but it was more of a, um, you know, how's it going? My name's Riley. If there's ever an opportunity to, um, you know, work with you guys or learn from you, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very much uh, like that sort of thing. So... Yeah, I do remember some sort of contour map and you came up with a designer, but I remember that was kind of very early. That was I maybe the first time I, I contacted him. He had something like that on his, his website. But mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah. And then yeah, so uh spent uh, spent a year with him and, and the Renaissance guys, which was, you know, outstanding. I did a little little workout in China with um Eric Iverson out there and uh, but for the most part, you know, I was I was really just looking for the office experience and, and you know, trying to learn the business side of, of the profession. You know, I had, I had enough dozer time and excavator time and, you know, enough golf courses kind of under my, under my uh, belt as far as construction and implementation. But the one thing that you just have a tough time learning about in this industry is, you know, how to write a consulting report or, you know, how to structure a contract or, you know, how do you go, you know, how do you, you know, all, all the kind of, you know, business accounting and, and, you know, structuring a company and, mm-hmm. and just like, uh, there's, there's so many things that, you know, I, you just can't learn from a book or school and you can only learn by, you know, kind of placing yourself in into a situation or working with someone who's done it. And, and Tom was uh, extremely open and, and accommodating and generous. And, and I spent a lot of time in, in the uh, Traverse City office helping him with, you know, plans and going on consulting trips with him out to, you know, Long Island and, and you know, golfing, golfing with him at Crystal Downs and being able to, you know, really have a lot of one-on-one time with him and also being, you know, in the, in the den, so to speak, when, you know, phone calls are happening and, you know, trying to figure out budgets and, you know, working on, you know, time construction timelines and, you know, getting phone calls from, from clients and helping with, you know, writing up uh, reports and stuff like that. So that was kind of 
what I was really looking to get in to do. As, mm-hmm. as so, unglamorous as a lot of people may think that is, that's like a, so, that's a hard thing to learn in this industry, and it was so important. He and he was so open, and um, it was a it was a it was a big um, you know kind of piece filled the gap, uh-huh. so to speak. From, so, all my other kind of education. So I'm curious with uh, Tom, you know, in having spent so much time with Tom, uh, what you think is kind of, you know, you know, if you had to look at one thing that he does just extremely well and maybe, you know, the best, you know, of the modern era at one aspect of design, what would you say it is? Mm. You know, I would say he... You know, being he's very mathematical, um, very analytical too. Um, I would say routing. He's very, um, you know, and I think that's what really um, interests him in the profession too. Is 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 the solving or cracking of the puzzle, you know, and then also creating a puzzle at the same time, you know, which is kind of the art or the craft of. You know, golf course architecture, you, you get this land and you get this, these contours and you get all these, you know, views and constraints and, you know, all these all these kind of pieces to a puzzle that you then need to kind of analyze and then and then and then come up with the best solution, you know, for the for that piece of land with, you know, the intention of, you know, you have some constraints like, you know, golf is 18 holes typically and you know, 7,000 yards is a pretty average number for, you know, that. And, you know, you want a variety of part threes and fours. But for the most part, you could put, you know, you could route that golf course a million different ways on that one piece of land. And, you know, I think he really relishes that that kind of challenge. And, and um, you know, working with him on the, the Forest Dunes project, you know, being able to, you know, sit in the office and watch and learn and work with them on how routing of a golf course, not in just one direction, but two directions, you know, that was like a, <laughs> that was a master's class in routing sort of thing. So, you know, he's very, um, you know, when it comes to, to routing, he's very, uh, you know, he's, he can like another, an example is he's when he's, when he's tallying up his, uh, you know, yardages or, you know, wants to see how, what, what the par ends up being, you know, I'm <laughs> maybe it's just, I'm the, the next generation that pulls out a calculator, but he just looks at it and he can, he can just crunch all those numbers and it's like, yeah, 68, 172 yards sort of thing. You're like, holy smokes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I know. So well, I know you got into... Yeah. And routing is a bit of a mathematical game too. When you, when you get into the core of it, but uh, I would say that's his, you know, what he enjoys doing the most and what he's, one of the best of the world at doing. So you've referenced, uh, you know, reading books a couple times, and a, and a question I get all the time is, you know, what are what are your favorite architecture books? And I'm curious what you think are some of the best architecture books, whether it's for a a beginner or for somebody that's you know gotten through all of the you know the introductory materials. There's so many out there now, and there's so much resources that. Um, you know, and, and being able to purchase books now is so easy, and you know, Google and Amazon. So, you know, my li- my library is a little bit uh, uh, overgrown, is one way of putting it. But um, you know, there's one book that um, 
for beginners, like a lot of people ask me the same question and it's like, well, you don't want to get into, you know, too heavy of stuff right out of the gate because it's kind of, you know, probably boring for, for most people. But, you know, to get a to get a, a sense of golf course architecture and but also have some visuals to kind of go along with it. There's a, there's a book that um, it was Jeff Shackelford did it with uh, Michael Miller, the, the uh, painter, the artist, and it's called The Art of Golf Design, and it's, it's kind of a coffee table book, but, you know, it's got a lot of good information in there. It just kind of has a real nice way of explaining golf course architecture, its features, its principles, its theories, its, you know, you know and also gives some great examples of, of, you know, it in practice, but they also do this cool thing where they take, you know, they take uh, images or they try to recreate what the golf course used to look like and then paint it. So, like, you can find, like, pictures of, you know, Pine Valley and the, you know, mid-1920s, and they'll do a, you know, a depiction of it. You know, Michael Miller would do a sweet picture of it with the, you know, paintings and clouds and just animate it and bring it to life. And then Jeff Shackleford does his, like, essays on, you know, what the, you know, some of these finer features of golf course architecture are, like, you know, temptation, you know, just try to get into it, but not overwhelming. So, you know, anyone that's kind of interested in golf course architecture but doesn't want to, pick up a, a, a novel yeah. and, and also wants to look at some cool pictures, uh, I would say the, um, the art of golf design is, is, a, good, is a good starter. Uh-huh. And then for something that's a little bit heavier, you know, one book that I always liked, and it's not really heavier, but it's the uh, Golf Has Never Failed Me, the Donald Ross book. I don't know if, you've, if you have that one or if you read it. but it's, I, I haven't. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get oh, okay. that one. I, as my, I've outgrown my bookshelf, so my, yeah. my fiance yeah, might I kill me. But... <laughs> <laughs> it's a good one. It's like it's kind of they've taken a bunch of notes or almost like diary type entries from Donald Ross and just pieced it together. It's kind of like an eclectic notebook that that of of the of Donald Ross and he, and he just talks about just everything really, everything from from turf to design to construction to his opinions on on things, you know, golf related, whether that's you know attire or mannerisms, and it and it's just kind of fascinating little book that's quick to pick up. You don't have to sink into it; like it's they're all segregated into small little chapters, and some of them are only a page long, sort of thing. And you know, I I just always like the the, the way those guys wrote and spoke back in the day like they had a way of saying you know their quotes are amazing they had a way of saying things in one sentence that you know in this day and age it seems like we have to use a paragraph to say the exact same thing and they just had this this witty kind of you know way of of just making their point you know i'm sure you've come across a lot of them and yeah i've seen a lot of quotes they, they could summarize things so beautifully and 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 succinctly, and, and who knows? Maybe that's also transcended into their golf course design. The the, the less is more kind of model, right? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, they all they had like a good little snark to them too. You know, where <laughs> yeah. and that, that's something I always like is you know reading the old quotes, and you know these guys had 
have so much more attitude and in today's era their quote would just get mangled and and just you know picked apart but back then they could you know just they could just land blast things and um i mean in general i think that writing writing short and concise is a lot harder than writing you know long um i think it's definitely an art so you know, I think you've got a really interesting background and unique background that got you into the the game, and and you know it it might not be the typical path to architecture, but you know doing maintenance and learning you know learning about turf and 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 having early experience with construction, it, it's had to have helped you a ton. And I know that you you are uh, of like the design build nature like how much of an advantage do you think your background has given you in in your career yeah i mean i don't know <clears throat> I, th- I guess it's an advantage it's a um you know i certainly rely on it heavily when 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 doing design work or you know coming up with 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 ideas it's it's super helpful to have the uh, wherewithal or ability to to not just design something, but to know exactly how to achieve it, how to actually build it, how it, you know, what's feasible and what's not. I, I feel like I have a pretty good sense. It's very, it's very intuitive now, right? And I and I think that's maybe, you know, what helps me the most is just to be able to understand, you know, from having mowed greens, to, you know what you know, what the, what the limitations of a, you know, a greens mower is or what the limitations of a fly mow is when it comes to say maintaining, you know, steep faces or, you know, what the implications of sand splashed up on a bunker face is in a, in a rainy climate and, and having washouts and, you know, all that stuff. So I, I think it really, um, I think it really does help me, actually, and I and I think uh, and I, and, I, and I think it um, you know it, it just really helps um, create a full a bigger picture, a fuller picture of of the design work that at hand, and it and it just helps inform a lot of the design decisions, uh, and and I and I find it's going to definitely help you know in the future. And I'm, I'm very thankful and, and glad that I had the opportunity to learn a lot of these, you know, from a lot of these seasoned professionals on techniques, whether that's, you know, you know, understanding how an irrigation head is wired uh, to why, you know, pipe sizes need to be a certain size, you know, to get mm-hmm. to water pressure, you know, efficiently from one side of the site to the other. And, you know, all those kind of, uh, all those things that perhaps if you were never in the trenches doing it, you might not even have a an understanding on on how that works or why, and, and mm-hmm. who knows? Maybe maybe had you had that kind of background or knowledge, you might have designed something slightly different. Not that yeah. I'm saying no. Well, design should definitely be you know you know form and function and all that debate, but uh, there's definitely something something there that's helpful, and, uh, and I think it just for me it boils down to a bit more of an intuitive kind of feel to. How, how golf courses function after you're done building them. I imagine that a golf course is, you know, when you design it, you're kind of designing almost like a, uh, it's like an animal and where, you know, all all the 
parts that need to work together and you know if if one of them doesn't work it, it never will live up to what you know it originally was intended for yeah but you know you can also you know fall in the trap of overthinking things over analyzing them and you know sometimes mistakes are what breathe life to the character of a golf course too you know unintended mistakes could very well turn to bode well for a golf hole or golf course or whatever it might be and and just you know it's you know it's not like it's a skyscraper or a bridge or a highway or something you know something of that's that's yeah <laughs> that has life yeah. at stake or anything <laughs> like that but it's you know it's uh some you know golf it's a it's a it's a fluid process and it's a living breathing you know entity once you're done with it and, and it evolves over time with the you know the elements and and sometimes trying to you know the hubris of trying to think that you can figure it all out and control that you know you might be handcuffing you know the potential of a of a golf course or golf hole by by trying to control all those elements mm-hmm. and sometimes you know, and you'll talk to anyone in the industry who's been, been doing this for a while. Like sometimes mistakes or unintended, you know, things that happen on a golf course inspire. You know, you'll leave it, or you you get inspired to, you know, maybe you use that to, you know, we're gonna we're gonna shape off of that. You know, funny sometimes you know things like a irrigation blow. If a main line blows out and it carves this huge chasm and you know, on the side of the fairway and you go back to the tee and you're like, hey, and this has happened to, and I'm sure a lot of people out there that similar situations happen like this, but, you know, an irrigation break could turn into a, a cool cross bunker pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. Um, right? it's, it's like almost anything. Sometimes your, your biggest, you know, I make mistakes all the time and sometimes they work out. Um, so I, I know you, you, it seems like you're pretty well read and, and I'm curious with, um, you know what? What golden age architects uh, do you ha, have you studied the most and kind of have the most appreciation for? Um, maybe maybe some that are you know. Obviously, everybody loves Mackenzie, but you know some uh, some off the off the beaten path names that uh, you know not every uh, casual golf fan knows. Well, uh, that's a, that's a tough question. To, I mean, the reason that those guys are so popular is because they were you know. They, they they put a lot of their thoughts and theories and principles and and all that stuff into writing and and a, and a lot of them were quite sound. So I mean, you know, I, I've taken a lot from from different different architects and, and and tried to piece together kind of my own eclectic you know theories and, and ideas and, and 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 stuff like that. But you know, I would say. Not that he's obscure by any means, but Stanley Thompson up here in Canada is a big, big influence for me, especially being a, you know, a member and next door to the Banff Springs Golf Course, and you know, I haven't seen, seen and played that, you know, pretty much my whole life, and um, you know, I would say Stanley Thompson has that had a big influence. And I think he's, I think he's pretty underrated too. I don't know, mm-hmm. you know, if he's just overshadowed by the the McKenzies and the. The Rosses and the Colts and the McDonalds and all that, but he, you know, he was pretty, pretty groundbreaking in, in his ideas and, you know, kind of there was a bit of a parallel universe kind of happening up here as those guys were, 
you know, finding their stride and, and starting to really push the profession and, and uh, you know, discover and experiment and all that. He was doing the same thing up here, and and um, he built some amazing golf courses, and, you know, he thought really deeply about design and wrote about it. Uh, you know, for instance, I remember seeing this, and I don't even know where I've seen this, but like a graph, and Stanley Thompson drew this graph. This is probably, you know, 1920s. Uh, and the graph kind of is his attempt at explaining ebbs and flow of a, of a round, of a routing, and how, you know, it's kind of like music, how there's, you know, there's a peak and there's, you know, there's uh, an introduction and, and uh, you know, you don't want to make it too hard out of the gate sort of thing, and, you know, where to put the par fives and the trees so that, so that the course, the routing has a, has a, has a flow to it that, that is harmonious with, either the land or the type of golfer that's going to golf it or, or what have you. And I, I thought that was pretty, pretty groundbreaking, not just to yeah. think about it, but also then to attempt to put it into some sort of, you know, visuals that he could then communicate it to others. And, you know, I thought that was pretty, um, pretty groundbreaking. Yeah. It's interesting. It, you know, the, the round is, you know, kind of like a, a song where, you know, all the great songs have some sort of a bill, like, you know, it can start out strong and then, but there's always like a lull or, you know, some aspect of it. There has to be, you know, contrast for a golf course to be great. You know, if you, you know, hard, every hole being a ball buster is, is nothing anybody wants, but, you know, a course that's filled with, you know, short par fours also, you know, you, you want variety and you want different things. So it's pretty interesting to think, of how he, you know, tried, kind of tried to come up with a formula, uh, like a, you know, some sort of put it into context. Um, I, yeah. I'm interested, you know, I, I, I've stumbled across this question and, you know, I've been asked it a few times. Um, what, what do you think about the role of the first hole of a golf course? Because it, it seems like, you know, there's differing logic where some people think it should be, you know, a like a warm handshake. Like I think it was Rainer uh, said that it should be, you know, a, uh, a friendly opening hole. I think Ross was that belief. But then there are others mm-hmm. that think that it should be representative of the course to come. And, you know, you find these, you know, a lot more challenging first holes. Uh, you know, do you have a, a, a thought on that? Yeah, you know, it's like it's tough to, to you know, paint a – paint every golf course with one overriding theory, right? It's, yeah. um, that's, you know, as you know, the variety is just key in golf. And, and, you know, if you opened every golf hole with a warm handshake, then you're getting rid of variety, right? So, yeah. you know, there's, it's a, Stanley Thompson also spoke of it. You know, he was a proponent of the par five, you know, starting off. And there's, there's a couple different ways you can look at it. I think. I think the one is is um, more of a logistics point of view, right? It's it's you don't want to have a log jam on your golf course, you know, after the first hole. So you don't want to make so, for instance, you don't want to make it a difficult, you know, long hole with say water and hazards and opportunity to lose your golf ball, and then follow that up with a you know, a par three that's notoriously, you know, three putts. So, like, right out of yeah. the gate, you've, you've designed a, you know, a one-two punch that is going to start everyone's round slow. And so, you know, that's that has nothing to do with, 
anything other than you've, you know, you've, you've designed, you've, you've, it's inherent now in that golf course. So I, yeah, it is important, but I, if, you know, would you sacrifice a good golf hole for the sake of it being, you know, should you, you know, should, should it be a four? Should it be a five? Should it be a long five? Should it be an easy five? Should it be, you know, all those things? I think it's really site specific, but you know, if if you twisted my rubber arm and you and you know, obviously starting with a par three, not that it's that uncom you know, it's uncommon, but it's out there. You know, I wouldn't start a golf course with a par three. You know, a par four, or par five, I think is preferable. I'm I like the par five starting because it just gets the golfer out into the property quicker. Mm-hmm. And you know, a short five, you know, gives a guy an opportunity to get an eagle right out of the gate, and you know. At the end of the day, I'm all about fun golf and, and the experience of golf. And and if someone can uh, start their round with a with a birdie, uh, what's more fun than that? <laughs> yeah. So um, I want I want to talk a little bit about your you and uh, Keith Reb's project down at Winter Park, um, where you guys teamed up to do each of your first solo work, as I believe. And uh, you took, you know, basically a, a municipal nine-hole course. It's, it's. I went and played it uh, a couple months ago. It, it's a great, great little course. It's, a, you know, short as twenty-four hundred yards, but you, you really gave it a, a, a big facelift. And I think it's, a, it serves as a good model for, you know, the future of municipal golf with, you know, interesting green complexes and, and great bunkering work. But I, I'm curious about, you know venturing off and doing you know what was the thing that you know you learned most from doing something on your own for the first time hmm. you know it was you learned a lot <laughs> you learned a lot it's not a i just say one thing um you know we were we we're quite lucky i mean we we surrounded ourselves with the right team which i think you know we kind of always knew that was critical for any project is, is the guys that yeah that you you bring on to it, so you know we'd learned that from other other projects, thankfully. So that so we didn't make any mistakes with that. I mean, everyone that was involved in that project was the right guy for the job, and we just had such a good time building it. Um, you know, I would say working and 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 also being a foreigner doing working on that project, right? There was a, there was another level. Um, you know, added to it for, for me at least. Um, but, uh, navigating the, the municipal, uh, I don't know if bureaucracy is the right word, but just the corridors of, of getting a per a project like this off the ground. So everything from, you know, permitting approvals, um, you know, having to, having to explain and, and come up with designs, to uh, help communicate to to people that are in, you know, the municipal government who are not necessarily golfers and, and look at this as just a, you know, an infrastructure type project, right? So there, so it's not like you're dealing with a a client who is all about golf and loves golf and is golf and understand, you know, you had to almost <laughs> you almost had to explain very simple. Um, ideas that you almost assume uh, most people would, would, would know, but 
when you're working with a municipality, I mean, they're working on all sorts of different projects, right? And they've created a committee to look at the golf course, right? Just like they create a committee to, you know, revitalize the museum or the library, right? It's not necessarily these people are, are, you know, golf fanatics. So, you know, navigating, you know, the municipal ropes or avenues or whatever you want to call it, and also educating the people uh, who were ultimately hiring us on why we were doing things. I, I would say that was, you know, the biggest thing we, we learned and, um, you know, everything from like, even things like insurance and bonding, and yeah. you know, like this, the, the very uh, unglamorous part of the, of this industry or this profession is, you know, all that stuff matters. And, um, you know, we had to, we had to learn it and learn it quick. And there was no, uh, no room to, to kind of stumble on something. So that was a, that was a quick, quick learn for sure. What, uh, what would you say about that project? Uh, were you most proud of walking away, whether it's a, you know, a specific feature or, you know, just, a you know, something that, you know, occurred while you guys were on site? I, w- I would say it was the, just the teamwork and, and, and how we did it. I mean, you know, I'm sure Keith told you the story about how we, you know, had everything lined up, ready to go. And, you know, our D5 <laughs> somehow turned into a D3. <laughs> and so they delivered their, we were completely underpowered. So, I mean, the fact that, you know, you just, you just, you know, stare down and, and get it done and, and, and work through the problems and problem solve and, and uh, the fact that we were able to, to do what we did out there with a, you know, essentially a D3, a little excavator, tractor trailer, and a skid. Um, you know, those were, those were, I think, the, for all of us, it was the fact that we were able to do it with so little, I think, was, you know, and that was what we set out to do, right? We didn't want to overcomplicate it or, or make a big production out of it. We just wanted to. You know, get in there, get in the, get into the sandbox, so to speak, and start, start creating fun, interesting golf. And you know, when when we when we completed it and we walked away, I feel like we achieved achieved that goal. So that was that was the most I think rewarding aspect of that project. Yeah, I uh, I loved it. I I'd recommend everybody that is in Orlando. You know, especially if you're down there for business, like. It's great to go out there and play uh, at, as the sun's going down. You can get around in you know an hour and twenty minutes, and uh, yeah. it's just and I, it's fun. I golf. think that's so key too, right? It's affordable. Yeah, right? it's not going to cost you an arm and a leg. It's inclusive. You can just show up. You don't have to necessarily plan in advance or make tee times. You know, they're they're very accommodating, and and uh, you know, it's it's just fun urban golf it's it's uh you know and, and one and on the same kind of thread one of the more rewarding things too is when we you know going back there and hanging out on the patio i just love sitting there and watching people either putt on nine or teeing off on one and i remember seeing a group of seniors they must have been in their 80s a foursome <laughs> uh, heckling each other on the first tee and and hitting it down and and taking off and starting their round and right behind them was a he must have been like four, maybe five, his first time on a golf course with his dad. And, uh, the, and the dad was telling us that he'd been, you know, hitting balls on the range for, you know, practicing for this moment and 
and the, and and the kid was his, his first time on a on a you know quote unquote real size golf course is what he is what the kid said, and his dad caddied for him, and so so now you have this you know four year old or five year old following a, a foursome of eighty five year olds and everything in between, and and each each one of them are you know experiencing the golf course and, and having a you know enjoying it on their own level, which I think for us was was very rewarding. Yeah, I can only imagine it's got to be really cool just to watch people play um, all, all that, uh, like your course and everything. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, uh, you know, with the, you know, as you're starting to build your, you know, your individual uh, design career, what, what would you say if you could, you know, what would be a dream project? Um, you know, whether it be a particular area or, a particular uh, type of course, you know, what what would you most want to build? Uh, that's uh, that's an easy one for me. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm um, I love surfing. Uh, traveled traveled quite a bit surfing, and uh, you know, I think there's something there's something connected. You know, whether it's a spiritual thing or or just the same type of. I don't know. Is it, there, surfing and golfing, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. I have similar threads that connect, mm-hmm. and I would love to do a my dream my dream project. And anyone that knows me you knows I talk about this all the time. Is my surf and turf resort? I call it. It's a, I wanted. I want to find a surf break somewhere in the world that uh, also on the shore has just the perfect landscape for for golf. And <clears throat> it'd be cool to combine a you know cabot abandoned style golf resort where it's about just a golf right not about the amenities and all that it's about just a great piece of golf golfing terrain and but also there's a surf break and the clubhouse acts as the clubhouse for both uh, the surfing uh-huh. the people that are surfing and the people that are golfing and you know when there's no waves and it's not pumping out there you can golf, right? But yeah. when the waves pick up, everyone kind of goes to the surf break. So you kind of have, you know, it's a, two amenities at this one resort. And um, I think if uh, partnering up with a, you know, a professional surfer or something like that to kind of get this off the ground would be a dream job for sure. It would be, um, you know, I think it would be a hit because I think, I think there's a lot of, you know, commonalities between surfing and golfing. And I think Exploring that with some sort of surf and turf resort, uh, I think would be would be pretty fun. Yeah, that's. Uh, I, I I have never surfed, but I've always been curious and wanted to. So you know, I, I you'd need to have like uh, somebody there to teach beginners like myself. Exactly, and same with same with the surfers same. that can surf and want to go you know, uh, need less than golfing right it's, uh, it sounds like every, in... every year i watch the kapalua you know the what is it not hyundai anymore whatever that tournament is now the champions tournament there at kapalua uh-huh. just watching those guys surfing and the and the whales breaching and and all that kind of stuff it's uh i always i always get re-inspired every year after after watching that golf tournament in Hawaii as it's snowing outside my I feel I feel like the the hang at that spot would be you know un unparalleled. It would just be the most laid back, you know, low key, no care in the world kind of place. That's it. Yeah, 
That's exactly uh, it. So um, I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit about what you're working on uh, these days. Now that uh, you, you got Winter Park done, what's uh, what's in the hopper and what what are you working on now? Well, uh, got a couple irons in the fire with, with potential projects and uh, some, some other projects that we're you know, still continuing to work on. But um, I was just hired by a golf club out in Vancouver called Point Grey. And um, so I'll be there. Uh, consulting architect and they want to go forward with um, a long-range master plan and, and uh, kind of reassess their their club and take you know just kind of take a look a fresh look at it right they uh-huh. they, um, they want to take a look at what their character is or what their genre is what their identity is and you know there's some, some, uh, some trees that need to be addressed and you know just overall just uh, kind of starting from from the the ground floor and I'm going to be working with them uh, to, to help them kind of achieve their goals. And um, so I'm really looking forward to that as it's somewhat close to, to my home. And, um, you know, as I, as I get more into the project, the more I'm learning about uh, the history of Point Grain, it's, it's quite fascinating with um, just the connection that they have, uh, you know, to St. Andrews and the golden age, right? It's a 1920s course. And um, it was laid out or designed by a, a golfer named David Ayton, who is, you know, part of this uh, golfing family from St. Andrews. And uh, we discussed this yesterday when uh, their, his brothers ended up in Chicago uh, mm-hmm. golfing there. And David ended up going to Vancouver. And, uh, you know, he, they ended up playing an exhibition match against, you know, Horton Smith and Walter Hagen and, um just some really fascinating, uh, you know, tidbits of information that I'm that I'm collecting right now, and I'm starting to piece it together. And, and the more I discover, the, the kind of more more interesting it gets. So, so yeah, I'm really excited about uh, working with with Point Grey and uh, and uh, exploring a bit more on who this David Ayton guy was and why he came out to Vancouver and and designed a golf course. Mm-hmm. So you know, with the, with consulting on a project, um, you know, it's it's a little different than getting to you know sink your teeth in. How do you approach kind of uh, you know conveying information and, and just do you is it you know do you have like a list of things that you want to do and and you kind of um, you know go one by one like you know how how do you lay out that master plan for a consulting rig like this? Well, it's I mean. Yeah, the consulting is just the, the beginning part, right? But I'm a, I'm a huge believer in the design process and how that, um, you know, shape informs your decisions. Basically, it's, uh, you know, the last thing I want to do is come to a club and be like, ah, oh, yeah, I've seen, I've seen a feature that looked really cool, and New York was put it here, right? Like, it's not about, it's not about me, it's not about my tastes, or, mm-hmm. you know, because golf is, you know, it's so subjective that it's, you know, there's no right or wrong answer. There's only you know, good, better, and best sort of thing as far as an answer goes. But, you know, I'm a huge believer in the design process, you know, evidence-based design. Uh, you know, I'm a, I, my theory is, a, you know, a well-researched project basically just designs itself, right? So the first thing I do is just kind of amass and collect as much information and, and, and data and history and, you know, just take a look at, at, at what's there, you know, and then and then – uh, get their wish list, the client's wish list, basically, and say, well, what do you, what do you guys want, right? 
and a lot of times, you know, what it is that they that they thought they want isn't <laughs> isn't what they wanted, right? So I, I don't necessarily ask them what they want. I just kind of ask, like, who is it for, right, and, and why? Why do you want it for them? And then I'll try to figure that out, try to get a little bit deeper into the in the subject for them and, and, and kind of let that uh, guide all my decision-making. So you kind of get all your, you know, you, you get goals and objectives and, mm-hmm. and you kind of marry that with your site analysis and your site inventory and, and, um, and then you pull from, pull from your own experience and, and what you've seen and built and, and, and then try to marry all those together into a concept design. And hopefully if you've done your, your research and you got your goals and objectives were all right, your concept design should address the club's needs or desires and, and then some sort of thing. So that's kind of where I started. So mm-hmm. basically, and that comes back down to learning that stuff from, you know, the design process is the same for landscape architecture. It's the same for, you know, skyscraper architecture or, you know, or any sort of designing is, is kind of, um, you know, the core of it is always comes from a design process because that's, that's kind of where you get into the, the soul of a project and you learn, you know, the why mm-hmm. why are we doing this, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it's not, a, not an easy question to always answer. Yeah, um, so we got a, we got a lot of great uh, Twitter questions, and I wanted to um, touch on those um, on a few of them here. And uh, I think the the first one I thought was really interesting. I, I forgot to write down the the person who asked his name. Uh, would destination golf work in the Canadian Sandhills like it does in Nebraska Sand Valley uh, areas? Let me. Let me grab my crystal ball here. Um, would the destination golf work in the Sand Hills in Canada? I don't know. Like it's one of those things where did you know who would have thought that the Sand Hills, you know, in Nebraska would have worked? Right? It's a, it's a very it was a very unlikely story that changed golf course design and architecture and the ethos quite substantially so it's hard to say no i think you have to have the right person backing it um you know the other factor is and i don't know if this is a necessarily a a good thing or a bad thing but just the seasonality yep you know we're just we're just that much colder and you know our season's just that much shorter and so it would be a you know it would be a tough kind of question from a financial point of view you know if that's kind of the angle that the question was was it more of a you know financially is it feasible or is it you know if you're a billionaire and you want to do it and you just want a cool golf course and, and making money's not the objective then then yeah it's definitely definitely feasible I and mean, then everything lends it to being a perfect place for for golf except for the fact that there's low population and and harsh harsh climate so you know the isolation and the weather is are kind of the two factors but you know it's a hard question to answer i i would say so but <laughs> depends what your criteria are yeah i imagine it'd have to be built and you know if you were looking to make money it'd have to be very minimal and in in pure golf and and uh built in a way that keeps 
all the costs really down. Um, maybe, maybe. Yeah, but I mean, it's like things like even just bringing power out to you know, like <laughs> if you're isolated and it, you know, how do you how do you get power to your resort, right? It's uh, water or even road water road access, like uh, all that kind of stuff is. Uh, you know, I don't necessarily think the golf is the expensive part. It's the operating of the mm-hmm. uh, the operations of the of the club would be, I think, the most challenging thing. I mean, you got to think of things like, okay, we got this beautiful piece of land. It's sand. We can sculpt this. And no, no problem. Build a golf course. You know, for very reasonable price. But then it's like, who's going to maintain it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Who lives out there? You know, where do you get staff? Where do they stay? Right. So that's. There's a, it's a lot. There's a lot of questions. You got to you got to find somebody that loves golf, but also loves cold weather. It's you know that'd be probably the tough the tough thing to find, and isolation. Yeah, there's a, I want to see that job posting. Yeah, to love you love, love golf. Yeah, I want cold weather. We got a job for you. And do you love Isolated. being by by yourself for nine months of the year. Yeah, do you like being alone in the dark? For, um, so, uh, Patrick Law wants to know what is the most overlooked feature on a golf course, in your opinion? Overlooked feature on a golf course. I would say, you know, as weird as this might sound, I, you know, I would say greens. Mm-hmm. I'd say a lot of guys just don't put enough time into really sculpting or crafting interesting greens right it's a it's it's an interesting thing because having built many greens for many different people you know you kind of learn a lot of different you know techniques or reasons or theories and and, uh, you know what have you regarding you know putting services and and the purpose And, and I feel like a lot of golf courses and this might just be a you know a result of of things like computer-aided design and you know the form follows function which is probably more of what it is you know due to drainage you know the screens just have this kind of typical ah, if we put some undulation in it you know we have kind of has it looks like a shaped like a potato chip you know and we got three exits right for water to drain off of it and uh, you know make sure that we're sloping that towards the golfer so it receives the the golf ball and then that's it right that's all they really put into it and um you know for me some of the most interesting aspects of seeing cool golf courses around the world especially quirky golf courses is how non-typical their putting surfaces are and how how much how varied they are and how much variety is in them and, and also you know how you couldn't build some of those things today because people would say you know I don't know how am I supposed to maintain that or where you know you can't have one exit for water and mm-hmm. you know you can't uh, you can't have it sloping away from the golfer or you know whatever the, whatever it is but for me that's kind of the that's the essence of a good golf course is is an interesting, perplexing set of greens that make me really uh, play the course differently the second time I play it after I learn 
you know, yeah. where to be, where not to be, and all those kind of things. So I think a lot of guys just don't really put the the thought into the greens as much as as perhaps um, they used to, or maybe back in the day it was less of a there's less criteria and it was they're a bit more freehand and and you know the you know function's very important, but to to design a green based on drainage parameters, well. You're gonna get a green that looks like it was designed by drainage parameters, right? So yeah. it's a it's a tough it's a tough one. But I would say I, I would say greens if if I had to choose one one element on a golf course that I think is you know critical to the sport, but is also not getting enough thought. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Somebody once said to me, and I'll never forget it. They they asked me, "Have you ever played a, a great hole that doesn't have a great green?" And it's it's almost impossible to think. So, I mean, yeah, the, the, yeah, that's it. It's, uh, it's yeah it's it's hard to do and you know like just like you said you know if you if you're designing just for for drainage like you you risk the the variety because i i was while you were talking i was thinking through you know my course i think might have the best greens in all of chicago and uh you know it probably you know some of the best in the world and and i thought you know the first green slopes away from you the the second green slope has a good, a big back to back to front slope. The next green has a huge right to left slope. You know, the next green yeah. is small and narrow and has this left to right slope. And and there's just all this variety in them. They're simple greens, but you know, no greens like another one on the golf course. And it and it's just you know, it that course was built in you know 1900 or 1899. Yeah, and you know, and you notice it too when you're playing it. Like that's. That's the one thing, you know, I, like for instance, I, when I was out, um, I think it was about a month ago, I was out uh, on the West Coast there and I uh, would play uh, Pasatiempo. And, you know, I've heard, obviously read a lot about it and heard, you know, amazing things about the greens, but man, those greens are so good. They're so good. They're so interesting. There's so much variety. And, you know, and what I liked about, you know, what what was done there, what McKenzie did there was he took the green shape was kind of dictated by where it sat uh, on the land sort of thing. So, <clears throat> you know, the whole 6,000 square foot oval thing just does not apply <laughs> to yeah. there. Cause there's, there's some narrow ones that kind of kind of snake or zigzag or kind of have an S shape because, or, or even if it's, you know, super wide, but not deep, right. It's a, mm-hmm. you know, and it was all a, a product of, of him, uh, fitting a green into a particular area but then using that area as the inspiration for what the green does sort of thing you know so it's kind of like you went he just really masterfully put some amazing greens, and they just fit the site so well and and i think you know um a, a place like that i think wouldn't be nearly wouldn't be half the golf course without the greens that, yeah. that they're blessed with. So I think, you know, I think, um, I think really, you know, looking at greens from different perspectives, um, you know, like you mentioned, uh, you know, whether it's the slope, that's sloping towards you or left to right, right to left, back to front, you know, that kind of thing, but also the shape of the green. Yeah. Right. The, the, you know, I think that's also something that's overlooked and, and, um, 
you know, I don't, I, I may, I don't know. I don't know why. Maybe it has something to do with it's easier to mow with a triplex or it's the most economical to build or it's a, it's a standard that somehow seeped into the work golf construction or design world. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of oddly shaped greens, like, yeah, you know, shaped in the, like an L or an S or, a, you know, an E, you know, like those E green, you know, those are the kinds of greens that I find the most fascinating and, and uh, you know, Paso Tiempo, I think just did it beautifully. Yeah, that's on, that's on my bucket list uh, of places to go see. Um, so, Allie Phillip wants to know uh, your top three Stanley Thompson courses. Man of the hour. Yeah, well, I, I have to go with Banff as yeah. number one. Uh-huh. You know, I've been very lucky to, to golf that many times, and every time I golf it, I just learn something new. Um about about the place and uh, is that is that the course that you strategy. first started working uh, maintenance on? No, is uh, okay. I worked maintenance at uh, Stewart Creek, which was uh, you know th- that was actually the golf course that um, I helped survey. Okay. <laughs> it was kind of weird. I I kind of yeah, so I surveyed and helped grow it in and then then maintained it. Sorry, uh, sorry to interrupt, uh, but you're... <laughs> no, that's fine. Uh, Stanley Thompson, yeah, no, uh, I have to go with Banff. It's, um, it's timeless. It's, it's obviously the, you know, the scenery is spectacular, but, um, you know, the, the only shame is, is the routing has kind of been mangled with uh, them introducing the new clubhouse back in the, in the 80s, I think it was, or late 70s, or, no, it was early 80s, and they kind of injected the clubhouse on the fourth hole what should have been the fourth hole which is now the first and this goes back to our conversation about flow ebbs and flow kind mm-hmm. of the you know the how the course um uh, plays uh from a from a golfer's experience perspective they've they've kind of um they've changed that they've altered it the dna of the, of the routing has been altered and and you notice it right because it was a it was a nine out nine in uh, routing, which is super cool for a you know a mountain course, but uh, you know the Devil's Cauldron was kind of at the end of the, you know as you at the turn point, and it, you know you, it was an anticipation factor. And, you know there's there's all these kind of emotions at play uh, that he did so well, and it's the opening tee shot over Spray River from on top of this cliff, and it's just like man, that would have been such a good golf course when it had first opened back, you know back in the day. So I'm a huge Dan Springs. Then I could go on and on about it. Highland Links, um, definitely second. Uh, the once again, the routing is phenomenal. Stanley Thompson, I thought, was a genius when it came to, to that, and he was able to get you, you know, from the coast up into the hills, up into the mountains, into the valleys, and then back down to the coast. And uh, you know, there's a lot of elevation that you climb, but you just don't notice it. And um, some fantastic golf holes. Some fantastic fairway contours. I love the fairway contouring out there. Just the the old world rustic dimple, you know. Just uh, it just has so much character. Um, and so does you know Cape Breton in, in general. So it's like a it's a, it just fits its environment just beautifully. And, uh, and then I would say I go with Jasper. <laughs> Got to go with the locals, uh, the local courses. You know, I uh, Jasper is just such a it's, it's, it's a little bit different than Banff. It doesn't have the mountains just <laughs> looming over you, and it doesn't feel like you, you can hit your golf ball off the cliff sort of thing, but it just has this 
just real subtle and artfully routed and interesting golf holes that is just it's just pleasant right so i would say those are my three but i mean it's more obscure one i mean capilano is fantastic i was able to play that a week or two ago and um once again the routing is phenomenal he's able to get you all the way down the down the hill you got these this these cool you know it's kind of like an urban urban kind of feel to it when you're looking at the skyline of vancouver it's got these big old you know stumps that are kind of scattered everywhere from when they built the place and it's got a neat character to it but uh uh, one other Stanley Thompson track. Oh, there's a there's a course in uh, Kenora, um, which is in Ontario, right on the Manitoba Ontario border, and it's a Stanley Thompson track. And it's uh, you know I I like to think it's it's kind of like Yale. You know, it's kind of built on rock, right? And they weren't able to blast all the rock away, and so they kind of just followed the contours of the of the bedrock and um, had some really cool bold bold big undulations big hog back plat you know fairways and, and just greens tucked tucked around the property and just has this really neat feel to it and i don't think a lot of people played played it but um you know Kenora golf club is uh whenever i'm out in that area that's that's kind of one of at melbourne's to the first two golf courses that i go play so, uh, lots of good Stanley Thompson tracks up here. Yeah, and uh, for Americans, there's uh, I know Cleveland's got a public access one called Sleepy Hollow. I think um, yeah. it's a Stanley Thompson. It's uh, it's supposed to be really good, and I've actually heard that there's a Stanley Thompson down in Florida, in like the Jacksonville area, that refuses to, um, you know, it, it keeps saying it's a Donald Ross and not a Stanley Thompson because they think the value of having a Ross is greater than having a Thompson, even though it would be a rarity in in, in, uh, yeah. in the U.S. to have a Stanley Thompson-designed golf course. Um, so yeah, I, there's a bunch, actually, in the Ohio uh-huh. area. Yeah. Um, I think there's several. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, we might need to do a profile on him one of these days. Um, yeah, I, I would. I, it's a, he's a fascinating character. I mean, like all these guys, as you read more and more about them, but he was... Uh, you know, whiskey drinking, cigar smoking, <laughs> died penniless, but, you know, left, was just a remarkable uh, human who, you know, pioneered a lot of things in golf course architecture that I think, um, you know, perhaps get overlooked. So that would be an interesting uh, profile for you to do. Yeah, I think it's also so cool that he was, he grew up caddying at toronto golf club which was like harry colt's first uh canadian de- design and you know canada's first like preeminent golf course and it makes you wonder eh? like i've always wondered about that because who you know there was no precedence back then really for routing i mean you could go over to the british isles and that's where all those guys kind of learned you know some of the, the, the craft but you know there was nothing really on routing Right. I mean, mm-hmm. Colt wrote about routing and he kind of pioneered a lot of the, you know, returning nines and, you know, the way you can triangulate and loop golf holes and, and just the economics of uh, smart routing and, and why. But, you know, makes you wonder if Stanley met Colt at any point and mm-hmm. talked. Because, I mean, h- how does someone go about, you know, being new to a brand new industry? Right, let alone new to a profession, but like there was no no one else doing it, and and get so many things right out of the gate. 
especially with routing, right? He, uh-huh. Makes you wonder where he picked, if maybe he was just a natural on it and, and is a very intuitive thing for him, or maybe he had some contact with someone like Coltwell, you know, in Toronto. And uh, the, I don't know, maybe I'm just a I'm just conspiracy yeah, theory well, right now, but uh, I don't know. I, that's always boggled me, how someone comes out of the gate and gets so much right without, you know, ever mm-hmm. having the failures to learn off of, right? He did a, he did a lot of good golf courses early on in his career and some, some major ones too, you know, where he uh, really pioneered things. I mean, you got, you have to think at the bare minimum that he looked at Toronto golf and, and used so much of what he learned from walking around there in his, in his first design, like it, it, at the very least. And you have to imagine, you, you know, you could have definitely foresee him you know, either maybe he caddied for Colt, and you know they talked to you know who who knows. There's a who knows. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a. It, I mean, he was a good golfer, and I'm yeah. sure that helps. But um, you know, I don't I don't necessarily think being a good golfer necessarily translates into knowing how to route a golf course, yeah. right? Yeah, I wouldn't know what I was doing if I if you handed me a topography <laughs> map. <laughs> so, um, hey, uh, you know. It, I, you've been more than generous with your time. We we'll get you out of here on uh, on our our overrated underrated. It's uh, you know a fried egg podcast tradition here. So we've got we got a couple teed up for you. And, okay. Uh, playoff hockey. Oh, underrated. <laughs> Who, Best hockey on the planet. So, Actually, after World Juniors. so who's your uh who's your uh horse in the race this year oh edmonton's going all the way all the way after calgary's disappointing loss last night um i am now fully fully on edmonton and uh huge fan of mcdavid and uh i just love the the you know relentless uh young the young guns the you know edmonton is just such a you know 100% 100% every shift type team and, you know, no giving up and, you know, all all of the stuff I love about hockey Edmonton's doing right now, so and playoff hockey, it just there. accentuates all that, so yeah, it's it's, uh, it's Canada's uh, Canada's year this year, it was a disappointing one last year with not having anyone in there, but uh, this year we got we got a few teams that could, could go all the way yeah, I, I think uh, Edmonton's a lot like my Blackhawks ten years ago. You know, lots of young talent and hungry talent, and you know they just go at it, hoping hoping for a miracle for my Hawks that are now down three zip. Um, but yeah, you're we'll, gonna need you're gonna need one. Yeah, yeah. They if any team can do it, they can. But uh, yeah. we'll, we'll see. Um, template holes. Man, I uh, <clears throat> it's bizarre. I don't know. I've, I've never heard so much conversations about template holes than I have in the last five years. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to have to go with overrated just because it's, um, you know, it's not like it's, it's kind of old news. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're fundamentally their sound for golf. You know, that's why they, you know, so prolific in, in architecture, but, um, you know, I think I think taking template holes and using them as inspiration and adapting them and and tweaking them, I think I think that's the 
Yeah. I think that's the important thing of template holes, not necessarily replicating them, if you know what I mean. It's uh, So, I don't know. I, I'm going to go overrated. Yeah, I like the idea of the twist. You know, I, I came up, mm-hmm. I was writing something about the double plateau, and I, I came up with an idea for one. I call it the double plat bowl, where you've got... <laughs> You've got the front two, you know, you've got the one at, at ground level, and then you've got the one raised on the left, or whatever. You could flip-flop those, but then the back one is a, a punch bowl. That's kind of what I did for the, uh, for the uh, Lido Prize. Um, basically, the, the punch bowl was obscured by a big blow-up bunker on the left, but then uh-huh. on the right you had full full visual but uh it was a tricky putt to get it back there because of the because of the plateau so you had to you had to choose whether you're going to kind of put the faith in your in your iron shot you yep. kind of you know landed in the punch bowl and 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 you know a bit of a bit of a throwback to you know the the dell hole in ireland sort of thing where you just swing it and and the anticipation of going around the key where it actually is you know or you or you played it kind of more strategically where you uh you know knock your ball uh and, and and you keep it in sight and then you put the premium on your on your lag putt sort of thing so yeah or you could try um, and run it yeah. in there you know it, it, it'd be cool i think yeah. it's and yeah. then you use that bunker slope right as the kind of yeah. punch bowl that's I, yeah. hey, great minds yeah nature nature did a similar thing what you're talking about it's called a platypus Platypus. <laughs> Just cramming these two things together, building a chimera of, it, of sorts. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I haven't thought about a platypus since, like, grade school. Uh, so uh, we're going to go with a Canadian hero here, Mike Weir. <clears throat> oh, man. You know, winning the Masters... Uh, you know, I think for for anyone that's won the Masters, I think you have to say they they've made an impact on on golf. So, uh, and he certainly did up here in Canada. I mean, um, Canada doesn't really have any megastars, whatever you call it, PGA golf. Just a you know a, a guy that we've all kind of we don't have our Rory McIlroy, you know, yet. Yeah. So I, he was kind of that, I suppose, and uh, so I would say I would say underrated. I mean, he, he was when his prime, he was good. Yeah, I mean, I think there uh, there has to be like you see, uh, there's a lot of great Canadian players now. I, I asked uh, a Canadian, I had a Canadian on my last podcast, who's a, a PGA Tour writer, Adam Sarson, and he and I asked him if he if he thought there was a, a Mike Weir effect in Canada, and he said that it, he thinks so. I think I think he's yeah. I think he meant a lot to that country and and uh, I I would agree that he's underrated, you know. Um, and then uh, final uh, one here, Pete Dye. Hmm. I would say underrated because of what he did for golf course architecture, right? He, you know, he he blazed the trail. He. He was the guy that kind of started stirring the pot <laughs> and yeah. started creating golf courses and started implementing ideas as as controversial as they as they may be. You know, he 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 evoked emotion out of people. He got 
um, golf course architecture kind of out of the rut, I guess you'd call it, or, you know, kind of pulled it out of the, pulled it out of its rut and, 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 you know, went for it and, and, you know, started building architecturally sound golf courses and golf holes that, you know, are very, you know, some, there might be a lot of controversy around some of them and, and all that. But I mean, without, without putting yourself out there, without taking that risk or that, that, that leap, you know, we're all going to just be doing the same thing and just kind of, you know, regurgitating the same golf courses all over, you know, over and over. And it's just something I think that he kind of took and shook, shook the hornet's nest and, and, and got people inspired and got people talking about golf and golf course architecture and, you know, started doing all these, you know, yeah. amazing things as far as, uh, building you know like some you know like the island green i mean like that you know he was he went and did it and uh so i would say he's underrated for what he did for golf course architecture and i think history is gonna look back upon it as as that being a defining moment right in 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 the lineage of golf course architecture because i mean you just look at the guys who who were inspired or preceded him right yeah it's it's, it's an amazing list of you know, uh, whether it's Doak or Bill Coor or Rod Whitman, right? These guys are all kind of students of the Pete Dye era, and golf is better for it. So yeah, I would agree. I think that's I think the mentorship aspect of it is is one piece that often goes overlooked. You know, he uh, he ushered in the big change. So yeah, I'm, I'm on yeah, the same. Exactly I'm on the same. I'm on the same boat as you there. So. But uh, Riley, I really appreciate the time, and it was it was fun having you on, and we'll have to do it again uh, sometime. Uh, for those that you know wanna wanna follow Riley, he's pretty active on social media. I think it's at Integrative Golf on both Instagram and Twitter, right? I think so. Yeah, I, I think so. Just you, you could search Riley Johns too. But um, Riley, thanks so much for the time, and uh, we'll look forward to. Uh, to to watching uh, what's what's next for you. Uh, thanks, Andy. Appreciate it. Have All fun. Right. Bye.